Uh, we're going to start tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm questioning whether I should say this or not. So I'm just going to do it because I wrote it down. Uh, you all deserve better than what I'm going to deliver tonight, which is something that you're not supposed to say before you start any talk, right? Um, and I don't, I don't have an excuse for that. There's really no reason why. I have been, just to be really honest with you, I've been really having trouble focusing to write talks lately. Um, that's been true in general, but especially the last few weeks because it has been so nice outside. Every time I sit down to write a talk, I think I could be not doing this and I could be outside. Um, I've even tried writing talks outside, which is, you know, the next logical conclusion. But um, I've also been dealing with some burnout from, like, honestly, two and a half years of really hard things happening, which isn't, I'm not unique in that regard. We're all feeling that. Um, and, and, but ultimately, this is my job. <laughs> and I take it really seriously. And um, every once in a while, things just don't come together how I would like. So um, that's not to say, like, this is going to be awful, because <laughs> I hope it's not, because I probably just wouldn't have shown up. But I'm, I'm trusting uh, that God will say something through my brokenness tonight. Um, which is honestly no different than any other night. So, uh, And I didn't do this on purpose as an example of what I'm talking about tonight, uh, but it is ironic because we are talking about confession. Uh, we're ending our series tonight, this series that we've been going through, um, Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. We're ending in chapter five, which coincidentally is where the book ends. Uh, but you should absolutely read this chapter. It's perhaps the best chapter of this book. Um, and it really convicted me about my own life and convicted me about a very glaring way in which I have not led well here at all, which might have played into some of how hard it was to write a talk on this. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about confession and, and forgiveness, and it really ties together the past few weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about praying for one another. Last week, we talked about listening to understand each other. And tonight we're talking about confession and forgiveness. So I would just like to, I'm willing to bet that if you um, are, if your spiritual development is stagnant right now, if you feel stuck, if habitual sin uh, continues to control your life, if you feel apathetic about your faith, if you feel distant or alone or isolated, I can almost guarantee that you do not have a practice of, of regularly, regularly confessing your sins to someone that you trust and regularly receiving forgiveness from that person in Christ's name. Not that that person is forgiving you, but that they are acknowledging that you are forgiven in Christ's name. In short, you have no regular experience of tangibly receiving grace. This is something I honestly have... I'm not sure that I've ever thought about before when it comes to confession. We have to have a practice of, of tangibly um, experiencing grace. And that's one of the gifts of community that community can give us. But what is grace? What are we talking about when we say this? There are two ways that we tend to, well, at least two ways that we tend to conceive of our relationship with God and, and sin. These are f functional views of God. These aren't things, at least the first one, isn't something that anyone would tell you is what they actually believe, but functionally it's how we operate. So the first is to interact with God and sin as though our sin separates us from God. 
And it is our job to work on that sin and get it to a place that's good enough that God will love us, that God will help us, that God will begin to grow us and mature us. But until we get to that point, God just sort of angry at worst or just really disappointed in us at best. Grace says that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our sin doesn't separate us from God anymore. God is on our side. And it's actually only through God's help that we can begin to start to work on our sin. And it's through that process of, of, being, of confronting our sin with God that we grow and mature and uh, become more and more like Christ. There's a subtle difference, but it makes all it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, I want to read Bonhoeffer's quote about grace from this chapter. He says, it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand that it confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you. A sacrifice. He doesn't need you to earn it with a work. He wants you alone. God has come to you to save the sinner. Be glad. This message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before uh, men and women will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. Thank God for that. He loves the sin. <laughs> he loves the sinner, but hates the sin. Yikes. Just blaspheming there right at the end. No big deal. Sorry, Diedrich. But did you hear what he's saying? There's one view that says that we have to earn God's love. But grace is that God loves us so much that he doesn't wait for us to get our lives together. He meets us there. And then the whole, much of our existence in this life is working on those things, working on those sins that we carry around with us that only God can help us with. But the greatest liability of a Christian community, especially one like ours, is that we can talk about grace all the time. We do every week. Grace is what we are extending to people when we say that you are accepted here just as you are. You are welcome here just as you are. You don't have to have your life together to any certain point to fit in around here. You are accepted here. We talk about that a lot. The liability is that you can spend years here and never actually experience what grace is. That was my experience growing up. I have not been a Christian my entire life, but I have been involved with church my, my whole existence. And uh, I am certain that I heard about grace growing up. I am positive because I know the people that taught me and I know that they are people that believe in grace. But I never experienced, tangibly experienced grace until I was sitting in, totally outside of church, sitting in the office of a counselor working through an addiction that had completely taken over my life. So what was different between growing up in church and then sitting in a counselor's office? In that office, talking to that counselor, I was able to actually, honestly, truly confess my deepest, darkest secrets and sins. 
and I was able to receive forgiveness. I'd heard about grace, but I didn't experience it. I'd had moments of confession growing up in church, uh, but those almost always went one of two ways. I would say something that I was struggling with, and whoever I was talking to would say something like, yeah, wow, you should probably work on that, which was true, not helpful in that moment. <laughs> or this, maybe you've experienced this. This is all too common. You, talk, you finally work up the courage to talk to someone about something that you're really struggling with, and then you find out that they're struggling with that same thing, which can be really great because you find out that <laughs> you're not alone. But then sort of the consensus is, yeah, I struggle with that too. I, I guess we both suck. That's sort of where things end. In counseling, I was able to name my sins, and I was able to tangibly experience grace by having another believer affirm to me that my sin is not who I am, is not my identity, that I am forgiven, and that I am unbelievably loved by God, who's not put off by this thing that I think makes me the most rep- reprehensible human in the history of the world, but that God is actually standing right with me to help me work on it, to grow and to mature me. In short, I was able to receive the gift of tangibly experiencing grace beyond the abstract acknowledgement in my head that, I, that God extends grace to me. And I only experienced that through another person reflecting Christ to me which is ultimately what we're called to do for each other, right? One of the greatest gifts of Christian community is to be Christ for one another. Because we're human beings, we need that level of experience. To confess our sins to one another and to receive forgiveness from one another in Christ's name. Confession and forgiveness is how we put grace into everyday action for one another. James uh, writes this in chapter 5 of the book called James. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's just one of the places where we're told, confess your sins to one another. But we've gotten away from this. This used to be like a fundamental part of what Christian community was. And we've gotten away from it, especially as Protestants. And some of that is because Getting away from Catholicism, there's the practice of you've probably, maybe you've experienced this, you've probably at least seen it in a TV show or movie where a person walks into a confession booth, there's this like screen door that lifts so you can't see the priest on the other side. Um, That way he doesn't know who you are, even though usually he knew who you were. You tell him what you've done, he tells you what you have to do to make up for it. It's very like transactional. But even in that, there is something powerful about at least you have voiced your sins and confessed what's going on with you. The problem comes in that he prescribes, you know, say so many prayers and you're good. And the problem comes in this being one person that hears the confessions of everyone when this is something that we should all be doing for each other. When we don't have any practice of confession, uh, that, uh, that whole idea of confession and freedom from sin, forgiveness and grace, all of these things just become abstractions that we sort of talk about mostly, but we mostly keep to ourselves about them. And, and we rarely experience tangibly freedom and grace. 
But one of the greatest gifts of community is making these abstractions a tangible reality. Confession and forgiveness is how we put grace into everyday action for one another. The alternative is for us to be people who talk a lot about grace, but again, rarely experience it. And in doing so, what we communicate is that we actually need to hide our sins. That this is a place where we talk about you being accepted as you are, but we don't really, really want to know what that means. So just like keep it to yourself and let's all like keep everything copacetic. But the problem with that, well, there's many problems with that. But when we, we never confess our sins, when we never talk about what's going on, when we never talk about the things that we're hiding, it grows in power over us. Sin kept in darkness grows in power. It becomes part of what we think is our identity, which then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we think this thing that we're struggling with is who we are, then what chance do we have in not engaging in that behavior anymore? But sin exposed to the light loses its power. When we, in the presence of someone that we trust who is reflecting Christ to us, when we voice our sins, we drag them into the light and we can differentiate between what we do and where we fail and who we are, which are totally separate things. And when we receive assurance of forgiveness from this person, it rebukes the idea that all of us here in our minds, that God or people in our lives will abandon us for this sin that we've committed, this thing that we're terrified to tell anyone about. And when that person doesn't run away or doesn't shut you down and reminds you that you are forgiven and that you are loved, that voice that tells you that the opposite is true starts to lose volume and power in your life. I think, um, I mean, I experience this all the time, but uh, most often the things that I struggle with, the sins that I struggle with these days have to do with my kids and losing my temper at my kids and not being a good parent or not being the best parent being on my phone, you know, all sorts of things where we fail when it comes to caring for the people we've created. And I, I almost always have this gut reaction when I, let's just say, let's use you, losing my temper with my children. My, my instinctual thought is I can never tell anyone about this. No one needs to know that I am this terrible. And then my second thought immediately after that is just all shame. I am a terrible father. I'm going to make the same mistakes as my dad. My kids will grow up afraid of me. Because all of a sudden, this totally normal, understandable thing has become my identity as their dad in my mind. And I'm already projecting into the future that like, <laughs> everything's over, everything's ruined. My kids are going to grow up afraid of me. Confessing when I mess up to my kids, not to my kids, when I mess up my kids, <laughs> when I mess up my kids, confessing that, even, even, you know, saying out loud to Michaela, today I totally lost it with the kids. Here's what happened. Just getting that off my chest frees me from the power that that sin has in my mind that continues to tell me, like, you are a terrible person. I can acknowledge that it wasn't good. <laughs> And Michaela can remind me like, yeah, man, I've been there. Those moments are really hard. It's okay. 
doesn't mean you're a bad dad. It's that simple. Bringing it into the light. Ephesians uh, 5, 8, uh, 5, 8 through 13 says, uh, for, you once, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. So, I mean, this is like what we're literally called to do, is just expose our shortcomings to the light. Expose where we fall short to the light. Expose our darkness to the light. If we, a community of Christians, if we together can't be honest and authentic about what's actually going on in our lives, what are we doing? Why are we here? What is the point? I want to actually be known and to know other people. I don't want, I've spent too much of my life wearing a mask and being a hypocrite and hiding in the dark, secretly hating myself and hoping that no one will ever find out. Even though I know it's the worst way to live, I still tend to do it. I want to expose my darkness to the light. I want to be a person that lives in the light. I want that for all of us. I want that for everyone here. I want us to be able to say every Tuesday that you are accepted here just as you are and have that actually mean that you were going to experience tangibly being accepted here just as you are. What good is being accepted someplace just as you are if no one ever talks to you about where you are or who you are or what's going on? Relentlessly expose your darkness to the light. Grace makes that possible. Confession is the way that we wield that grace that God gives us. Confession, this is just sort of a review of what we talked about. Confession breaks sin's power over us and it reminds us of our true identity. You are not this terrible thing you did. You are a beloved child of God that sins. God's not mad at you for that. God's not ready to leave you because of that. God is ready to work harder with you to overcome the wounds that you are compensating this sin with. Confession helps us share the burden of living in the light. This is why it's important that this is an aspect of community because life is hard and we can't do it alone. We need each other. We need to tangibly be reminded by someone that we can see in flesh and blood and hear you are forgiven from. Confession also helps us facilitate genuine repentance. These habitual sins that we are all caught up in have so much power when we don't voice them, but it is crazy how much just simply telling someone else about it helps us actually change, actually repent. It is easier to turn and change directory when others know about what we're going through and walk alongside us and when we let others in on what's going on in our lives, the things that we're struggling with, they can actually pray for us. Just something we talked about two weeks ago. Confession brings about a, a psychosomatic experience of cleansing and renewal. Like I've been saying, it's the way that we actually experience grace. And lastly, uh, confession, this entire process is contagious. Like this snowballs. It encourages others to confess their sins. When someone sees someone being, being willing and brave enough to say like, 
yes, I messed up. Here are the things that I deal with. It makes everyone else who's hearing that like, oh, I can do that too. It's not so bad. This doesn't define us. This is the thing that we're supposed to be doing together, relentlessly exposing our darkness to the light. There's no shame involved when it's literally what we're supposed to be doing together. Confession and forgiveness are ways that we help one another experience grace, not just talk about it. So we need practices of of tangibly experiencing grace. Like I said at the beginning, if you're spiritually feeling stagnant, if you feel stuck, if, if habitual sin continues to control your life, if you feel apathetic about faith, if you're lost and distant and isolated, you're probably not taking confession and forgiveness and community seriously. And I am right there with you. Like, I've read this book before. And uh, I don't know that I've ever thought about, like, confession should be a regular part of our church experience. Because it feels so Catholic, which isn't something we're supposed to leave behind as good Protestants. That's not a word, Protestants. What would this community be like if it were a place in which we truly helped one another tangibly experience grace and the things that we're most frightened to talk about? through confession and forgiveness. Some of the deepest gifts of community that we can give to each other are listening to each other, praying for one another, and receiving confessions from one another, and forgiving each other in Jesus' name. If that was a regular aspect of this community, I think we'd be a place where no one has to hide what's really going on with them, where no one wears a mask, to, to project some sterilized, pious version of themselves, where people can be honest about their darkness, where people truly experience freedom, love, and grace in Jesus' name, where people are really accepted just as they are and don't stay the same. So what do we do with this? Well, this is where, at least for me, it gets a little bit awkward. Because a lot of the reason why this isn't a part of our church is on me. So I would say in the short term, if you know of someone or some ones that you trust, what would it look like for you to initiate some sort of practice of confessing your sins to this person? to have this person walk alongside you, to know and be known by this person. If, if you don't have anyone that comes to mind, or even if you do, I, I am, this is my job. I am here for any and all of you. Nikki is here for you. Our elders are here for you. And uh, Nikki and the elders don't know this because I haven't told them this until right now, but we're part of what we're going to do this summer is spend some time thinking about how we can integrate some practice of confession into our community. Because this is a really sensitive thing, right? We're not going to like spend time on a Tuesday night where everyone goes around and confesses. That's not a good idea. (laughs) It requires a lot of trust. It requires a lot of vulnerability. The kind of vulnerability that can't be coerced or forced. It requires a lot of maturity on both ends. 
It's not something that we want to handle flippantly or just like try to just integrate instantly, but it is something that is vitally important. And it's something that I want to see be a regular practice around here in some form. Confession is, is vitally important, more than I've ever realized, because in doing so, in confessing our sins, we give one another the invaluable gift of tangibly experiencing the radical grace that God is so willingly and lovingly extending to us. Will you pray with me? God, I, um, I'm sorry that I have not led this church well in this regard. God, I pray that you would give us um, creativity and, and healthy ways to integrate <laughs> bringing our sins into the light into this community. God, I pray each one of us would would be willing to finally confront that thing that we've been carrying around, that thing that we know in our heads that doesn't make you love us any less, but that we feel in our heart and are so scared that it absolutely will make you leave us or means that we are broken and that you made a mistake or that you're not real. God, those things that we fear deeply, if anyone else knew about, they would leave us for sure. God, I pray that you would help us be Christ for each other so that we can all overcome those things. That we can all tangibly experience grace as a part of this community. And it not just be something that we talk about on Tuesdays, but something that we live out together and for one another. We love you, God. Amen.